Folks, have you checked out the Irish History Podcast shop recently? Right now, I have a sale of 30% off everything when you use the code SALE30. So go to irishhistorypodcast.ie forward slash shop and get 30% off everything when you use the discount code SALE30. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. There was a church on the site going back maybe as far as a thousand years. The trouble is we've no records. We really don't know the full story of how long it's here. Hello and welcome to Stories from a Living Graveyard, a podcast series created by myself, Finn DeWire, and Damien Shields, the host of the Forgotten Irish podcast. Stories from a Living Graveyard is a seven-part series that looks at the history of Preben Cemetery in County Wicklow. This episode which began with the words of Father Hamill, a local priest in Preben, hints at the ancient history of the cemetery. In Preben, you can travel back thousands of years within a few short steps. So in this episode, we will look at the earliest history of Preben, back in the early Middle Ages and indeed before. However, this leads us on to fascinating stories behind the wonderful, unique carvings from the 18th century that can be found in the graveyard today. This series has been produced in association with the Preben Graveyard Committee and the Heritage Office of Wicklow County Council. Damien and I would like to express our thanks to the Heritage Council and Wicklow County Council for funding this podcast and the ongoing work to reveal the hidden heritage of Preben Graveyard. Sound was by Jason Looney. When myself and Damien arrived in Preben, figuring out its history was tricky there are tombstones that date from the present day all the way back to the 18th century. There was also the faint outline of a building that seems much older still. Thankfully, Yvonne Whitty, a local archaeologist who has spent years untangling the history of Preben, explained the story. 
Yvonne began by pointing out some features in the landscape that hint at a long history in the general area. Beyond the confines of the site, if you look up on top of the hill, overlooking the site are two bivalent ring forts. So they're double ditched and they are believed to have belonged to the higher echelons of society. And that's also a parish and a townland boundary as well. And they, those boundaries may have preserved, you know, important early medieval divisions. Yvonne mentioned the early medieval period, so we asked her to explain a little bit about this and when exactly we're talking about. The early medieval period began around 500 AD and this is a time when there was extensive missionaries to Ireland. So St. Patrick, I suppose, was the most well-known and famous of these missionaries and they were sent here um, to Ireland to convert the pagan Irish. Preben's history in this period is elusive. But Yvonne explained how one feature close to the cemetery indicates the site may be at least 1,500 years old. Little is known about the history of the church in Preben, but there's a, I suppose there's a clue, there's a holy well that's located kind of 120 metres west of the graveyard. And this is dedicated to St Aidan. And he was the first Bishop of Ferns in 570 AD. St Aidan is an important figure. And in the next episode, we will look at the story of the well and the rituals surrounding it. Dr Louise Nugent is interviewed extensively in that episode, but we asked her to explain briefly who St Aidan was. St Aidan is an early medieval Irish saint. He was born in County Cavan, um, and as a young man, he studied at um, the great monastic school at Clonard, run by St Finian. And he's known throughout um folklore and his hagiography of being a knowledgeable and learned person. He also studied and and spent time in Wales with St. David before returning and founding his his monastery at um, Burns in County Wexford. He's also the patron saint of monastery at Ross Inver in County Donegal and at Drumlane um, as well. So so he was he was a very well known and popular saint. He's the patron saint of the Diocese of Ferns as well. While this connects the site to the early medieval period, Yvonne also pointed out some archaeological features in the graveyard that anchor Preben's origins well over a thousand years in our distant past. This is a typical early um, medieval church site. It's a D-shaped enclosure. And then by the 8th century, the church, I suppose, became more established. And what they wanted was the, um, they wanted local people to bury their dead in consecrated ground. So this is where Preben maybe would have been flourishing Then Yvonne brought us over to one part of the site where the faint outline of a building can be seen. Incredibly, this is the remains of a structure that brought us back to the 12th century, the time of the Norman invasion and the world of Dermot McMurray and Strongbow. So what we're standing here really then is um, is we're inside the the ruins of the church, which is about 12 metres by 4 metres. And we would assume that this, based on the architectural fragments, this church would have been, I suppose, about... Um, like it would have been an early church about 12th century and maybe there might have been a wooden church here earlier and maybe so we know that this is definitely an early church site when you think of St Aidan dating to the 6th century. While Yvonne has described what seems to have been a flourishing religious community based around Preben in the medieval period we were curious how it fell into disuse. Yvonne explained would have fallen out of use at around the time of Henry VIII and when he dissolved all the monasteries and transferred their wealth to the Protestant religion, which is the new faith. So Preben went out of use then. While it fell out of use during the Reformation, by the 18th century, the local community were again burying their dead in the cemetery. Yvonne describes one of the oldest legible graves you can see today at Preben. 
We've a headstone in here from 1738. And what's really exciting and interesting is that we have um, a descendant, a person who is a, a direct descendant of the 1738 headstone. And he lives now over in Texas and he's been in contact with us. Now, the graves that date from this phase of Previn's history are one of the most incredible features of the graveyard. While you can read the personal details of the people buried beneath them, there are also several of these headstones that are carved with incredible and intricate detail. These are not what you expect to find in a remote graveyard in the foothills of the Wicklow Mountains, and unsurprisingly, these have their own fascinating history. To understand the story behind these headstones, Damien interviewed Chris Corless an archaeologist who has worked with the Preben Graveyard Association and focused much of his work on these headstones. What Chris revealed transformed the way any visitor to Preben will see the site. Chris's line in this interview wasn't perfect, but what he says is fascinating. Chris began by explaining a common feature of Preben and a series of other graveyards in the wider area. What some of these graveyards in, in South Whitwell and North Wexford especially might lack uh, in terms of Outstanding late medieval or even early medieval remains they certainly make up for terms of uh, headstones for the 18th century. Because the, the collections of headstones in, in these graveyards are difficult to, to compare with anything else. Chris has identified two stone cutters who carved some of the most impressive headstones in Preben. The first of these was based in the Wicklow town of Ockram. There's one which, which I termed the Ockram stone cutter, or the Ockram granite stone cutter. Unfortunately, he's anonymous. He leaves his name on any of the headstones, but he seems to have been working out of a, really one of the only sources of granite in the area close to Ockram. So his headstones are, are found all around this area of South Wicklow. They're interesting because it's almost like a vernacular form of Baroque. It's influenced by architecture, it's influenced by furniture, and they're quite flamboyant headstones in many respects, although the, the, the decorative motifs that we see on them are, are tend to be quite generic. It's a, a relatively small number of selection of passion symbols, passion of price. Alongside the Ockram stonecutter, Chris has also identified the work of an incredible figure called Dennis Cullen in Preben. Chris started with Cullen's background. Chris then went on to talk about Cullen's work, which you can see in Preben today. In parallel to our granite stonecutter, we also have another stonecutter, and this is Dennis Cullen. And his workshop is in Monaseed in North Wexford which is not really far away from, from Preben. And what's also interesting about Dennis Cullen is that he is one of these stone cutters who starts off possibly in the building trade, in fact, and, and dabbling in, in manufacturing headstones. And then he makes a career at And unlike a lot of other stone cutters, who, they start off with one particular type of headstone and they pretty much continue producing it for the rest of their career. It doesn't look anything different. It's just the names and the dates are different. Dennis Cullen is a true artist because he wants to improve. He's always trying to find new ways to improve his work. And if I was to show you one of his examples from the very beginning and show you, you know, from the late 1750s and show you fast forward to something from the early 1780s and 1770s, you would never realize that they were from the same person because there's such a vast difference from where he started to where he finished. And, you know, to see that in, in, in a, a stonecutter from a very rural part of Wexford, a real true artist for his time. The hand-carved tombstones in Preben are different to pretty much anything else you'll find in similar graveyards in Ireland. The iconography and symbolism are of a rare quality. Chris explained them best in the following terms. This is a long time before such a thing as public art. We didn't have galleries at the time. Uh, you know, the, the, the 
the art that you get in the 18th century was for the big house, those types of places. There was no such thing as public art, really, that we know of, except that there was. Public art was in the graveyard. This is where local communities and local people and local families were able to express their, and it was, it was really religious art. Now, this obviously begs the question, who are these artworks for? Damien asked Chris who hired Dennis Cullen, or perhaps more accurately, who could afford to hire Dennis Cullen. It's a difficult one to give a definitive answer on because, for a start, we don't have Dennis Cullen's ledger where he kept all his accounts to tell us uh, how much he charged in the first instance. No doubt that um, you know he did charge a pretty penny for, for some of his work. And he also, he was adaptable. That's the interesting thing about him. He was very adaptable. He carved certain headstones were obviously designed, tailored for people with a certain budget, kind of a little analogy version, you know, for people who maybe couldn't afford well, the more accomplished work. These headstones in Preben also tell us about the people of the time. Also implies a certain level of literacy as well. Whether the families who commissioned them could read necessarily, of course, is one thing, but they had an expectation that people out there would read them. Preben Cemetery can be confusing at times as you move through thousands of years of history and archaeology, all lying side by side. Indeed, sometimes the same headstone can have multiple histories, having been reused again and again. Chris now explains how on one occasion, when looking at a headstone, he made a remarkable discovery, almost by accident. It just happened, I think, that the light just came behind one headstone before it kind of moved again, and it, it, it highlighted these rings on the stone. What Chris had discovered in Preben was prehistoric rock art dating back thousands of years, which had been reused as a headstone in more recent times, which in Preben Cemetery is measured in centuries. Chris now unravels this complex history. In, in other parts of the region, I suppose we do have examples of rock art still in their original position. Or most frequently, the rock art appears on a, a relatively small boulder sitting on a hillside not necessarily up on top of a mountain with wide views or anything like this, sitting somewhere in a, a relatively obscure area on the hillside on this low boulder on the ground. It's an open air on the bark. It's not part of any structure, just simply sitting on a hillside. When we do see it in, in its context like that, it tends to be quite simple art. It's cup marks, sometimes surrounded by, by rings, little shallow cup marks. How can I describe them? They might, you know, they're, they're very shallow. They tend to be maybe more than five centimetres deep. They might be up to about eight centimetres wide. They're much smaller than you might associate a bowl of a mortar, for example. So they are quite small. And sometimes, they're, as I say, they're surrounded by a ring. This rock art is thousands of years old. Many have theorised what this meant at the time. It has been argued that they may even represent maps of the stars. Chris, however, was more sceptical as to whether we can truly ever understand what the artist intended. No two sites are exactly the same. So I don't believe that, that they're simply maps such as that. They are pretty much whoever's gone out there and decided they wanted to create this art. They had something in mind and we will probably never know exactly what it was. This rock art ended up in Preben after being moved there. This begs the question when and why this happened. Chris continued. One of the reasons you might decide to use one of these headstones is, for example, if you didn't have the money to pay the stone cutter to carve a headstone, then not that this was a ready-made headstone, but this was a stone that you could immediately recognize as being different to all the others in the graveyard and say, well, the stone that has those markings on it is our stone. And particularly if, if, if you were coming from 
family who may have been illiterate anyhow and may not have had been able to read per se a headstone that had a, an inscription may not have been as important or perhaps they didn't have the money to pay for a stone cutter either but they had something a, a stone there that they automatically recognized from all the other stones in, the, in their family plot. Chris, however, has made some fascinating discoveries that might explain how the rock art first arrived in Preben, and it's possible that it had been brought there a long time before the 18th century. Well, one of the things I noticed actually and at a site not too far away from Preben at Ballon Temple, also in South Wicklow, was that one of these had been used as a headstone in relatively recent times. But when I looked at it more closely, I realised that before that, it was used as a medieval windowsill. And it, had the, it was carved into windowsill, there's no doubt about it. But on the under, other side of it were all these cup marks. So before it was used as a windowsill, it was rock art. So that stone was reused and recycled and, and repurposed, you could say, in, in the late medieval period, possibly 600 years, 700 years ago. Um, so perhaps these stones have been moving around for some time. It's not that they're just simply ending up in more recent times, but they have been coming to the end to the sites in, in for centuries now. While these headstones reused rock art thousands of years old, giving the grave a unique identity, Damien draws this episode to a close with a fascinating insight into what using a stone such as this meant for the memory of the person buried there. It must have been an awareness among people that if you were the person who was left there with the prehistoric cup mark stone, that although you would remember who was buried in this grave, when that generation or the generation after it was gone, that name was gone, that person's identity is gone. But if even if you are illiterate and you can have a named headstone, you would have an expectation that that name is going to be preserved in perpetuity, as you would see it going on, which is a, a really interesting idea. That brings what has been a whistle-stop tour through the history of Preben Cemetery to a close. In tomorrow's episode of Stories from a Living Graveyard, we turn to St Aidan's Well near the graveyard and the rituals that were practised there for centuries until very recent times. Until then, Sloan. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 